North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Welcome to another episode of the Impossible State Podcast at CSIS. This is Victor Cha, Senior Vice President for Asia, Korea Chair at CSIS, and Professor at Georgetown University. Today, we'll be talking about what to expect from North Korea in 2024. There's been a lot of speculation in the expert community and in the media about whether North Korea has made a strategic decision to go to war. And we could not have a better person to discuss this with then former National Security Advisor, Dr. Kim Sung-han. Uh, Dr. Kim Sung-han is currently Professor of International Relations at the Graduate School of International Studies at Korea University. Uh, as everyone here in the DC community uh, knows, um, uh, Kim Sung-han was National Security Advisor to President Yun uh, from 2022 to 2023, and prior to that was Vice Minister for Foreign Affairs and Trade in 2012 to 2013. Many of the things that we are seeing in South Korea's foreign policy today, whether we're talking about Camp David, the Washington Declaration, the NCG, the Nuclear Consultative Group, these are all things that Dr. Kim Sung-han not only worked on, but was in many ways the architect of during his time uh, in government. I, in fact, actually remember one time when um, I was staying in a hotel in Seoul, and uh, there were a lot of... Uh, very big men in black suits who are walking around and you had just, you were just doing, this was when he was a candidate, you were just doing a day long briefing with him, uh, President Yun, uh, for, with experts that, that you were, that you were sort of running almost a class for, for President Yun. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, Dr. Uh, Kim Sung-han uh, has served as director of the Ilmin Institute for International Relations at Korea University. He was Dean of GSIS for four years from 2017 to 2021. Uh, and before that, he was a professor uh, for well over a decade at the Foreign Ministry of Foreign Affairs think tank, the Institute for Foreign Affairs and National Security. That was, I think, that was when you and I first met when we were both young, uh, when we were both young academics. He's held numerous other positions that I can't go through. He's president of CSCAP for Korea, vice president of the Korean Association of international studies, a whole variety of things. Um, he is uh, he received his PhD in political science from the University of Texas Austin, um, <clears throat> and uh, you are uh, writing a number of articles right now about deterrence and about North Korea. But it's a really a pleasure to have you with us, my friend, and to have you in the studio um, uh, with us here in Washington D.C. Um, so welcome, welcome. Thank you, Victor. Um, so, as I mentioned at the outset, there's a lot of speculation these days about whether North Korea has changed its position. Uh, you know, they have stated that they are no longer um, uh, seeking unification of the Korean Peninsula, that they have called South Korea an adversary or an enemy now. Um, <clears throat> some, some experts have even said that they've made a strategic decision to go to war um, there is nobody, I think, um, in the community, expert community today, who has uh, studied this topic more than you, that has had policy experience at the very highest levels on this. So I would like to get your expert opinion uh, on how much you think has changed with regard to the situation with North Korea today. Thank you, Victor. First of all, thank you for reminding me uh, of uh, our three-decade-old uh, kind of a friendship. <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. 
First of all, uh, whether North Korea is uh, ready to go to war, uh, I don't think so. Uh, even though uh, Kim Jong Un uh, promised to make uh, the year of uh, 2023 uh, to make uh, uh, you know to prepare war and also expand its war capacity. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I think uh, North Korea's uh, uh, strategic calculus uh, is uh, still the same, uh, remains unchanged. Uh, if I elaborate uh, North Korea's uh, strategic calculus, uh, that is as follows. Uh, most of all, North Korea needs to increase its nuclear arsenal as many as possible and also complete its uh, ICBM capability uh, as early as possible. Uh, then uh, they believe uh, United States will come to the uh, negotiating table where North Korea uh, is is uh, going to transform it into kind of a nuclear arms control negotiation, not uh, denuclearization uh, negotiation. And then uh, at the end of the day, North Korea uh, will try to trade its own ICBM capability uh, for uh, North Korea U.S. Uh, diplomatic normalization while uh, keeping the minimum number of its own uh, nuclear warheads uh, for its own uh, regime security. Uh, this kind of uh, strategic calculus uh, is uh, still the same, despite uh, harsh and hawkish uh, rhetorics of uh, Kim Jong-un. If uh, Kim Jong-un wages a war against the South, I think uh, this kind of uh, calculus is going to be disrupted because the United States will have to respond uh, to the war uh, in quite opposite ways against its own uh, North Korea's strategic calculus. So that's why North Korea needs to threaten uh, to go to war uh, so that the South Korean people uh, may uh, suspect the U.S. extended deterrence uh, and, and uh, United States uh, may respect uh, North Korea's strategic calculus. That is still uh, North Korea's game plan, uh, I believe. Mm -hmm. So the, in the end, the goal is um, to be accepted as a nuclear weapon state. Nuclear weapon state, uh, that is uh, North Korean uh, wish. Yeah. But uh, I still believe that that is not going to happen. Right. We right. need to dis distinguish a nuclear armed state uh, from nuclear weapon state, uh, which is recognized by NPT. Right. Uh, if it is recognized as a nuclear weapon state, uh, we have to lift our sanctions against North Korea and mm -hmm. uh, we have to uh, see uh, U.S. Uh, North Korea diplomatic normalization, which mm -hmm. means North Korea will be acting like a normal entity of the international community, mm -hmm. which is unacceptable to ROK, mm -hmm. uh, which is unacceptable to the U.S. either. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's why yeah. uh, I think uh, uh, we need to keep watching uh, whether uh, North Korea is uh, sticking to this kind of a game plan or not. Yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, they are continuing just to amass their capabilities, perfect their weapon systems, mm -hmm. uh, think things of that nature. Mm. Um, they believe uh, if they are able to demonstrate uh, their ICBM, uh, you know, uh, you know, capability, like you know, demonstrating uh, kind of a normal angle kind of a test launch of ICBM and also uh, nuclear warheads uh, dropping to the service uh, kind of uh, as they are, mm. uh, you know, by enduring uh, almost a seven to 8,000 uh, degrees of temperature while penetrating into the atmosphere mm. and also uh, maintaining the preciseness uh, of uh, the trajectory, mm. uh, this kind of a uh, uh, homework uh, still uh, remains. Mm. Mm. If it is demonstrated to the U.S., North Korea believes the United States will come to the negotiating table, mm. Mm. and then things will change it in favor of uh, North Korea. Mm. So you think eventually they will want they will test something on a flattened trajectory. You think eventually they'll have to do that, not just on a lofted trajectory, yeah, but a normal angle. A normal yeah, angle, angle uh, test launch. Yeah. They have to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, lofted angle kind of a, a test launch is easier than normal angle nice. yeah. uh, kind of a test I launch. Nice, yeah. I see. Quite 
Well, that's quite worrying. Mm. Um, 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 so I, so I, so I see what you're saying that we, they've not made a decision to go to war. War would basically mean the end of the regime, uh, and that that's certainly not what Kim Jong Un is is looking for. Having said that, uh, could you uh, love your thoughts on what you expect from North Korea this particular year? I mean, we have elections in South Korea, we have elections in the United States, probably some sort of election in Japan, certainly an LDP election in Japan before September. Are you? What are you thinking about in terms of uh, actions that North Korea might take, particularly against South Korea? I mean, they will launch missiles. We expect that they will launch missiles. Kim Jong-un even said he wants to launch at least two more military satellites. So that means at least two long-range uh, rocket launches. Mm. But, uh, but in terms of South Korea, uh, what, what sort of things are you, are you um, tracking or concerned about? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. When I was in the government, uh, you know, YPO, you know, the, the Yongsan presidential office together with, uh, you know, Minister of National Defense uh, and, and, and Chief of Staff, uh, headquarters, so we made some bunch of scenarios mm. of uh, North Korean provocations. Uh, I, I can't say the number of scenarios, mm. but a mm -hmm. bunch of scenarios, mm -hmm. uh, including uh, North Korean, you know, uh, sudden kind of uh, uh, absorption of uh, uh, one of uh, five islands in the West Sea, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know the, the many kinds of uh, test launches of uh, missiles, you know the ballistic missiles, uh, cruise missiles, etc., uh, etc. Et so that uh, belong to uh, kind of a local, not full-scale provocations uh, that belong to kind of a peacetime operation. Uh, control, which means only Korea will respond to them, right. not U.S. Right. Uh, that kind of uh, uh, local provocations will be regarded as peacetime uh, opcon, mm -hmm. in which uh, Korea uh, is holding the leadership role to respond. So that kind of uh, uh, scenarios uh, can be thought uh, as uh, future uh, kind of a. Uh, uh, you know, the, the local uh, provocation that can be conducted by uh, North Korea mm. uh, this year. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in addition, I think uh, North Korea uh, is uh, going to uh, threaten uh, the United States uh, so that South Korean people uh, may continue to suspect uh, U.S. provided uh, nuclear uh, umbrella. Uh, and also, North Korea has its own preferred uh, presidential candidate of the United States. So in my personal view, North Korea is expected to uh, show that uh, Biden administration's North Korea policy has been a total failure. Mm and uh, try to contribute something uh, to make uh, its preferred presidential candidate win the elections uh, by doing uh, some uh, provocative uh, actions. Mm. That is uh, you know, threatening a war. Uh, and, and the U.S. kind of a, a strategic patience uh, has not been working. Mm. So we uh, need to think about kind of a new uh, strategy uh, in which uh, North Korea's uh, game plan uh, may be treated as uh, one of those options. Mm. Mm. So that is, I think, uh, uh, North Korea uh, is uh, thinking uh, at the moment and, and trying to make it uh, more uh, workable uh, within this year, mm. Mm. Particularly, okay. particularly before U.S. presidential elections. Before November, before the elections in yeah. November. So they have a preferred candidate that they would like to see win, <laughs> yeah. I, I think is, is what you're saying. On the first point, um, um, so just for our viewers, I know many of our viewers and listeners understand that, but there is, uh, on the first point about um, 
North Korean provocations against South Korea. There is something called wartime operational command uh, control, and then there's peacetime operational control. And your point is that in peacetime operational control, uh, the South Korean military, South Korean general mm. ha has, um, has um, um, I don't know if autonomy is the right word, but has more autonomy yeah. in terms yeah. of how yeah. to respond. Uh, and uh, the commandership. The com and the command has, has command. Mm. Um, um, so that so uh, uh, most of the actions that North Korea might take in these scenarios would be limited, so they would certainly not be all-out war, and therefore we we would be under peacetime uh, opcon. Um, that that's one point. The second question following from that is have, for the Yun government, and when you were national, have the rules of engagement changed, or have they have they stayed the same to the extent you can speak in the public domain? Mm -hmm. But how much have the rules of engagement for for South Korea cha change. If North Korea seizes an island or fires artillery, um, I would expect that South Korea will respond uh, almost certainly. But um, anything that you can say on, on that? I think uh, starting uh, Yoon government, uh, we have been saying that uh, the rules of engagement uh, should be based on uh, proportionality. Mm -hmm. Uh, in other words, uh, we need to take actions corresponding to uh, North Korea's provocations. Uh, as an example, in January uh, 5th this year, uh, North Korea fired more than 200 rounds of uh, artillery uh, to the buffer zone of the West Sea. Mm -hmm. And in response, uh, UN government you know, fired 400 rounds of uh, uh, shares. Uh, to the buffer zone, mm -hmm. uh, so it's two times, right? And uh, at the cabinet meeting, uh, President Yoon uh, pointed out uh, we need to punish North Korea multiple times uh, than uh, North Korean uh, provocations, mm -hmm. which means uh, two times or three times, mm -hmm. and uh, they don't have to. The local commander. Uh, doesn't have to report to uh, YPO. Uh, they just uh, respond quickly to uh, North Korean provocations. So that is the rules of engagement mm -hmm. uh, based on proportionality. Uh, we are not, uh, you know, backing off. You know, we need to deal with it uh, immediately, and and uh, that is the way of uh, preventing them uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Um, <clears throat> uh, let me. You mentioned uh, one of the North Korea strategy is to try to rattle uh, the credibility of extended deterrence. Um, you and uh, your your counterpart counterpart here in the U.S., Jake Sullivan, were instrumental in creating the Washington Declaration, the NCG, the Nuclear Consultative Group. Really, um, if you think about it, historic documents. Uh, new documents in the U.S.-Korea alliance. I think when, when, um, when a student is learning about the U.S.-Korea alliance, the first thing they will look is, is at the Mutual Defense Treaty of 1953, but then they will look at the Washington Declaration and the NCG as documents. Um, so I guess the question here is, um, do you think that uh, the uh, Washington Declaration, the NCG, is doing enough at this point to assuage concerns about the credibility of extended deterrence, whether it's from South Korean allies or whether it's vis-a-vis -vis North Korean adversaries. Do you feel like the NCG is fulfilling its role in terms of shoring up extended deterrence, um, or is there more that should be done? I myself has spent a lot of time uh, talking to my uh, counterpart, Jake Sullivan, uh, about uh, how to reduce uh, South Korean people's concerns about uh, the credibility of U.S. Uh, extended deterrence uh, for ROK. Uh, we considered uh, several options, uh, including the creation of uh, uh, NCG uh, and, and some others like you know, the redeployment of uh, uh, tactical nuclear weapons back to uh, ROK. Uh, we reached a consensus that NCG is, is a lot more useful because um, 
this is the way of uh, kind of eliminating uh, kind of a long time U.S. legacy, so-called nuclear mysticism. Mm. Uh, in other words, the United States has been saying to its own allies that uh, you guys just trust me. Trust us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, I will take care of you. I will protect you uh, in a crisis. But uh, don't try to know about our own kind of mechanisms, how to use uh, uh, nuclear weapons and uh, how uh, deterrence is working. Mm. That is uh, nuclear mysticism. I believe that kind of uh, nuclear mysticism has has contributed to the increase of uh, uh, skepticism on the part of the South Korean people. Mm -hmm. So um, NCG has been created uh, to share uh, the nuclear weapons operation mechanisms uh, with ROK. So uh, this is uh, big progress. Mm as compared with before. So we are, uh, you know, uh, consulting with each other uh, on the standing basis. That is one of the reasons why uh, we reduced the level of chief to the assistant secretary level. Mm-hmm. You know, ministers and, and vice ministers, they are excessively busy. So uh, on a standing basis, uh, we need to uh, consult with each other and the United States uh, need to teach uh, how its deterrence mechanism is working at the assistant secretary level, uh, which is more realistic, I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. So that is why Jake and I uh, reached the consensus. Uh, this is the, the appropriate level uh, for future uh, consultation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, this is uh, making a lot of progress. Like in the second session of NCG, uh, we agreed to uh, you know, uh, make uh, some sort of a guidelines uh, for extended deterrence. And uh, we uh, agreed to implement it uh, to uh, the forthcoming uh, joint military exercises coming uh, summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this kind of a guidelines uh, could be upgraded uh, like, you know, joint operational plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though United States uh, is not using that kind of a particular terminology, mm-hmm. I think uh, if we, uh, you know, work together on a standing basis and and uh, uh, trust each other uh, at a strategic level, uh, there is a likelihood that we can uh, reach that level of joint kind of a uh, operational plan uh, how to uh, deal with the nuclear attack uh, from the north. So this kind of uh, things are uh, working at the moment. I believe uh, this is not quite sufficient uh, to totally eliminate or reduce uh, the South Korean uh, people's uh, worries or skepticism about uh, US nuclear umbrella, but I believe uh, uh, it will uh, contribute uh, on a graduate, uh, gradual basis uh, if we uh, kind of uh, uh, can demonstrate our uh, outcome of our joint, you know, consultations. Yeah, yeah. So the um, when you say joint operational plans or joint operations, are, are you thinking more along the lines of, so, you know, South Korea has incredibly sophisticated precision strike, conventional precision strike capability. capabilities. <clears throat> Uh, that in combination with U.S. nuclear assets mm-hmm. is that sort of the direction in which I, which you're, you're talking about, mm. moving, and moving also uh, South Korea uh, itself uh, can uh, join the z- decision-making mm. uh, procedure mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about uh, the usage of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ultimately, it belongs to the U.S. president. But uh, what I'm saying is, the, at the working level, right. okay, uh, we need to uh, help them to make a, a decision, right, yeah. uh, at the presidential level. So this kind of things uh, need to be uh, conducted uh, at the joint military exercises coming uh, summer. Yeah, yeah. So what I hear you saying is that there is a lot of progress that has taken place. In fact, a sea change in progress that has taken place at sort of the operational strategic level 
but not things that are re as readily visible to the public because we're dealing with very classified, very secret. So we're talking about nuclear operations. That's about as secret as they get. Mm. At the same time, on the public side, though, North Korea is firing all these missiles. It's very obvious. It's very public. And so there can sometimes be a perception gap between what the public understands versus the policymakers. My sense from you is that the policymakers feel like quite a bit of progress has been made. There's still more to do, but a lot of a lot of progress has been made. Mm -hmm. um, um, and really, I mean, from the perspective of the outside, the changes that we've seen uh, in in this area really have been uh, something that we haven't seen before. Uh, and there's a natural resistance on the U.S. side, inside our bureaucracy. There's a natural resistance to do things differently. But the order clearly has come down from the top mm -hmm. that they need to do things differently, and 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 I think we're seeing <clears throat> we're seeing the results of that. Um, do you? Um, in terms of what else to expect from North Korea in 2024, there's been for a long time this speculation about the seventh nuclear test. Um, uh, do, do you think that uh, we should expect to see a seventh nuclear test? Or, or maybe that's more than that. Like, What else does North Korea need to demonstrate with a nuclear test that they, uh, that they haven't done yet? What, what is it that they need to test? Is it miniaturization? Is it is it tactical? What are your thoughts on on this whole question of a seventh nuclear test? You know, the, technically speaking, they need to uh, the complete the miniaturization mm. uh, of nuclear warheads and uh, the lightening the the weight of uh, mm. uh, nuclear bombs. Uh, you know, uh, they are ready already uh, since. Uh, uh, 2022, uh, June 2022, uh, I still remember that uh, I decided uh, not to accompany President Yoon when he uh, was visiting uh, NATO summit mm. uh, in June uh, 2022. In Madrid. Uh, in Madrid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I myself, you know, I uh, went to the presidential office and said, uh, I will uh, stay here uh -huh. uh, because North Korea's uh, seventh nuclear uh, test uh, is uh, somewhat likely. Yeah. So that means uh, even at the time, North Korea was ready to yeah. conduct uh, another nuclear test. Uh, I don't know why they postponed or canceled uh, that test. But uh, from the strategic uh, uh, point of view, uh, North Korea has many reasons uh, to conduct uh, seventh uh, nuclear test. Uh, symbolism, mm -hmm. you know, uh, another nuclear test uh, can demonstrate uh, Biden's uh, North Korea policy uh, is a, a total failure. Look, North Korea uh, nuclear arsenal uh, is is getting. Uh, much uh, more, and and uh, their uh, nuclear missile capability is getting a lot more uh, advanced. So, uh, you know, ROK US uh, extended deterrence uh, could be seen uh, less effective, uh, even if uh, you know there is no correlation uh, between uh, successful nuclear test. Uh, and uh, effective uh, extended uh, deterrence. So this is uh, related with kind of a symbolism mm. uh, at the uh, strategic uh, level. Mm -hmm. And also seventh uh, nuclear test uh, will provoke uh, South Korea's uh, kind of a nuclear armament uh, voice uh, and it will help make, uh, you know, nuclear armed North Korea a kind of a fait accompli. Uh, so this kind of a strategic consideration uh, could be considered uh, in the process of, uh, you know, making, uh, conducting uh, another nuclear test. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see. Mm. Um, okay. Um, next question I want to ask you is about um, uh, Russia and North Korea. This is a, a new variable in the way we look at the North Korea situation. As you know well, um, historically, uh, North Korea was always the supplicant in the relationship 
always asking for uh, debt relief, right? Asking for nuclear umbrella from the Soviet Union, asking for technology. But now we're in this situation where Russia needs North Korea. Russia actually is the one who needs North <clears throat> Korea. Um, <clears throat> and, um, it's, you know, it's very likely now that Putin will make a summit visit to North Korea at some point after Kim Jong-un's visit there. Uh, Foreign Minister Chesun, he was in Moscow, met Sergei Lavrov and um, uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov, and, and clearly that was to set up a meeting. Um, your thoughts on this? I mean, um, uh, when, you, when you were in the seat, uh, North Korea was supportive politically of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but at least I don't think at that point they were pro providing munitions. Um, Putin didn't, didn't need them just yet. But now we're in a situation where North Korea is providing millions of rounds of ammunition, prolonging the war in Ukraine. It's quite critical now at a time when U.S. support for Ukraine looks like it's decreasing. And if Trump were to win, it would almost certainly disappear completely. Um, so how do you as 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 uh, well, I guess if you if you are still in the government, how would you be dealing with this issue right now? I mean, I don't it's a very difficult issue uh, because we have very little control over what the two of them are doing. Mm. So your thoughts on that? I <clears throat> still remember that uh, when I had a, a National Security Advisors meeting in uh, Honolulu uh, in 2022, mm. uh, together with uh, U.S. and Japanese counterparts, I myself emphasized, uh, you know, Russian, uh, North Korean. Uh, military cooperation uh, could take place in the near future. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were sharing uh, the same uh, concerns. Now it is happening. Yes. Yes. Uh, due to many reasons. But, um, you know, what I'm uh, most uh, concerned about is, uh, you know, uh, ballistic missile cooperation, for example, Hwasong-18, uh, which was test-fired uh, last July, uh, is uh, virtually the same as uh, Russian uh, ICBM, which is called SS-27. Mm. Uh, that means uh, Russian technology, uh, technological assistance was made uh, to uh, DPRK. And also, uh, after uh, a couple of times of failure, North Korea successfully uh, launched its, uh, you know, surveillance satellite uh, last November. Uh, I think uh, Russian assistance uh, was made uh, for this part too. Uh, another thing uh, North Korea is expecting out of uh, Russia uh, is a higher resolution of the lens of the, the surveillance satellite because uh, the resolution level is so low uh, at the moment, but uh, North Korea is expecting high resolution lens out of uh, Russia uh, because uh, you know North Korea has no factories or facilities you know making those you know high uh, resolution lens for surveillance uh, satellites. Mm. That's one area, and the second one is uh, second one is uh, uh, you know nuclear powered submarine, yeah, uh, which requires a Russian technology, uh, so that uh, North Korea may uh, approach uh, near to the west coast of the United States and launch uh, cruise missiles, nuclear cruise missiles to the U.S. So that is uh, another. Uh, strategic kind of uh, uh, threat uh, to the U.S. That is uh, the area where uh, DPRK is expecting uh, out of Russia. And also the re-entry technology, as we all know, uh, North Korea is still lacking in certain technology like the surface of uh, you know, nuclear warheads. 
that can endure seven to eight thousand uh, degrees of heat uh, when uh, going through the uh, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is called a carbon dash carbon uh, technology. Uh, that is not an easy technology. So probably North Korea is expecting it out of uh, Russia. And also automated uh, the precision uh, controlling uh, mechanism so that uh, nuclear warhead maintains its uh, trajectory and hit the target precisely. Uh, So that is kind of a last huddle North Korea uh, wishes to overcome, uh, which requires, I guess, Uh, Russian technology Mm. or assistance. Mm. So this is the area uh, why I'm uh, concerned about. Uh, I believe uh, already Washington is sending some warning signals or messages to Moscow uh, so that uh, Moscow may not cross the red line. Mm. Otherwise, uh, U.S. homeland uh, may be subjected to uh, North Korean ICBM directly. Uh, and also Russia's point of view, if uh, Russia crosses the red, red line and then complete uh, all uh, homework uh, North Korea might be thinking of, then uh, Russia uh, has no card to play uh, to the uh, DPRK mm-hmm. uh, later on. Mm-hmm. So, And also Russia has uh, to uh, think of... Uh, the scenario in which they can improve uh, its relationship with the uh, U.S. uh, at some point in the future. So considering all of those uh, factors, uh, I believe uh, Russia must be taking some uh, cautious actions in terms of uh, military uh, cooperation with North Korea. But who knows? Uh, We have to keep watching uh, how Russia will be behaving. Uh, with respect to this issue, yeah, the um, on this first point about the Hwasong eighteen looking a lot like the SS twenty seven. So, I mean, in the in the past, you know, North Korea, as you know well, has gotten this technology from third parties and then reverse engineered it and then added their own little thing to it, and then they call it a North Korean engine or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it looks just like a Soviet engine. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the similarities between the HS-18 and the SS-27 are really mm. amazing. It's striking. It's striking. Right? Yeah. It's, it's striking. Yeah. It, do you think that's something that they reverse engineered, or do you think that's something that Russians are providing? Because, I mean, Putin's in for the fight of his life in Ukraine. If he does not win that war, that's the end of him. Mm. So in many ways, he's desperate. So, and North Korea, as we both know well, drive a hard bargain. So, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on whether Russia would cross that red line or if they've crossed it already? I don't know, but uh, Russia uh, has some reasons to help uh, North Korea uh, to the extent North, Russia may not uh, play into uh, North Korea's game plan. Uh-huh. Uh, from that uh, strategic point of view, uh, the ICBM uh, technology uh, without you know, re-entry capability will be acceptable to Russia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is I see. I see. Uh, what yeah. Russia yeah. Uh, has thought about it. So that is why this kind of uh, worrisome you know, things are taking place at the moment. Uh, that's why I think Washington needs to keep sending uh, warning signals uh, to Russia and also some positive signals to, to Moscow mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, at some point in the future, uh, U.S.-Russian kind of a cooperation uh, will be needed uh, for uh, U.S. Uh, who is likely to be uh, preoccupied with uh, the strategic competition with uh, PRC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, from the strategic point of view, uh, it is not such a wise policy for the U.S. Uh, to deal with both uh, you know, PRC and Russia uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
we need to think about it you yeah. know, from the prudent point of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, the um, I want to ask you one other question based on your last answer. I mean, there are a bunch of questions I want to ask, but for time purposes, just ask you one other question. We, you know, at our conference uh, that you participated in on trilateralism, we talked about relations with Japan where you, the Yun government, just uh, uh, made a major shift, historic shift, really, in policy towards Japan and towards trilateral relations, culminating in the Camp David summit. Not even culminating because that was sort of the centerpiece, but there is so much that has happened after that. Um, really historic, historic changes in the alliance and in Korean foreign policy. But the, the, what I wanted to ask you about was China. Uh, because there too, I think we've seen major changes, quiet but major changes, um, and and of course, all of these things, all of these directions were mapped out um, in the transition period. You know, as 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 you were uh, sort of leading the strategic rethink, GPS, if you will, global pivotal state, uh, and then of course in your role as national security advisor for the first year of the UN government, when all of this policy direction was set. Um, can you just explain sort of what was your thinking on China and where that relationship is going? Because it's very different now from what mm. it was in the previous government. And I mean, not just the previous, but historically very different from what we've seen mm. in the past. <clears throat> because uh, President Yun himself, uh, even uh, you know, uh, during the transition, uh, he had a strong conviction that our uh, strategic uh, axis, the central axis of our strategy, uh, is is anchored upon uh, our alliance relations with the U.S. But that doesn't necessarily mean uh, we uh, are just uh, watching a deteriorating uh, relationship with uh, China. Uh, because ROK-China uh, relationship is uh, somewhat uh, related to our, uh, you know, economy mm -hmm. uh, and and livelihood of uh, you know middle class people of ROK. So that uh, should be uh, considered in a serious ways. So we are trying to come up with kind of a, a coexistence of uh, these two sets of uh, bilateral relationships. But I re-emphasize that the central axis of our uh, strategy is ROK-US alliance. Mm -hmm. In addition, in addition, uh, in uh, previous years, uh, ROK as well as uh, PRC were highly tempted to drive a wedge uh, between uh, ROK and the United States, and ROK and Japan. So even though we uh, used to say uh, trilateral security cooperation to deal with the North Korean threats, but uh, there was a missing link between Tokyo and Seoul. Right. We all knew that, right? So President Yoon uh, took note of uh, that kind of a uh, strategic missing link that needs to be mended as soon as possible. So that's why he made a, a very a bold decision uh, to mend the fence as soon as possible uh, to uh, come up with a trilateral security cooperation uh, through the improvement of uh, our Seoul-Tokyo uh, relationship. That is how you know Camp David summit took place and uh, we uh, included uh, many visions and, and uh, policy directions, uh, not just on North Korea, but also uh, China. Uh, in terms of a free uh, and open uh, in the Pacific, uh, we mentioned uh, the peaceful coast rate relationship and also uh, yeah. freedom of navigation in the South China Sea uh, area, as well as others. So. Uh, to to make it short, uh, China is not an enemy uh, of ROK. Uh, China is not an enemy for ROK-US alliance. But uh, China is posing a lot of challenges. Uh, ROK, United States, and Japan 
uh, are ready to deal with them uh, in constructive ways. And on bilateral terms, uh, ROK is well poised to uh, cultivate more constructive relationship with China on the basis of mutual trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, we are ready, also ready to uh, correct them uh, on the basis of mutual consultations. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, about uh, our China policy. And in that sense, I think uh, uh, we are making a progress. And also uh, another uh, you know, strategic uh, thing President Yun has in mind is that uh, CJK summit. Yeah. So we already had uh, AJK summit, America, Japan, Korea summit uh, at Camp David. And uh, CJK, China, Japan, Korea summit is expected to take place uh, at some point uh, this year. Mm-hmm. So we have two triangles, okay, AJK and CJK. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two triangles are not uh, supposed to work against each other. Mm-hmm. They can, uh, you know, uh, produce some sort of a synergistic effect mm. uh, in a way of contributing uh, to peace and prosperity, not just in Northeast Asia but also in the in the Pacific region. Mm. That is uh, our vision too. Mm. Okay. I want to emphasize. Yeah. No. Very. Very. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, um, let me just ask you in closing that. Um, you know, in uh, in Korea, the, there is a, the system is somewhat similar to the United States in in the sense that you have academic scholars who move in and out of in, in and out of government. Uh, you know, in many for many years it was a very unique American thing, but we see this more and more in in South Korea. And you're sort of the quintessential example of that, right? A scholar for for uh, a scholar a scholar practitioner, very folk very much in the academic realm, but also very focused on policy. And then you had these two stints in government at very high levels as vice foreign minister, and then of course as national security advisor. Um, so um, I guess now that you're out, it's been about a year or so since you've been out. This is your first trip to DC uh, in your in your uh, unofficial capacity since stepping away as, as a national security advisor. Um, so what are you, your reflections sort of on moving from the ivory tower into policymaking and then back back onto the campus? Like what is your overall reflection uh, of, of the two different lives um, uh, and how, how they in- intersect? Mm. Personal reflection. <clears throat> anyway, it was my privilege and great opportunity to work at the government. Uh, in actually two two administrations, yes. uh, Yim Bak and uh, Yun Song Yeol uh, governments. Uh, one advantage uh, academics have is uh, to think uh, out of the box, mm. as compared with the uh, typical uh, bureaucrats. So that's why uh, many presidential candidates uh, want to listen to. Uh, academics rather than uh, bureaucrats because uh, first of all they need to differentiate themselves from the previous uh, government they need to differentiate themselves uh, uh, from uh, rival candidates so they need uh, ideas so that's why they need to rely on uh, highly tempted to rely on academics rather than uh, retired bureaucrats Uh, that uh, is why uh, you know President Yoon was not an exception. Uh, by the way, the bureaucrats are really good at uh, managing things, particularly managing crisis, you know, uh, due to their uh, long time uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in actuality, uh, they have to work together uh, in the government. You know, uh, in in managing crisis, uh, you need to listen to uh, bureaucrats. You know, when you think of uh, some uh, creative uh, and, and visionary kind of uh, policy directions, you need to listen to uh, academic turned 
the policy makers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the sake of creating some synergy effect. So in that sense, I think uh, Korean uh, tradition, if I may, even though we have benchmarked the U.S. tradition, uh, is uh, ha has been creating a lot of positive outcomes rather than uh, negative ones. Mm. So I think uh, this kind of uh, uh, tradition, uh, I believe, will have to continue, will continue in the mm. future. Mm. Well, very good. I mean, I think mm. for the sake of the alliance, U.S.-Korea alliance, and for Korea's sake, it, I agree with you. I think mm. it's important to... Mm to have those fresh new ideas that come in That's right. uh, with, with each administration. Mm. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us uh, on The Impossible State. Again, your first trip appearance in Washington, D.C. since uh, your time as National Security Advisor. Hopefully mm. it won't be your last mm. visit to CSIS. I expect we'll try to see you here as often as often mm. as we can. It's a really, really a pleasure. Thank mm. you so much. I got uh, your invitation just because of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank Thanks you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, of course, it's always okay. our pleasure. All right. Um, and uh, thank you to, again to all of our listeners and viewers. Another episode of The Impossible State. Uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Until then, be safe and be well. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.